Supporters of the California Bill of Rights say that the legislation would close some existing gaps in labor laws with protections like rest breaks and overtime pay. In January 2011, hundreds marched in Sacramento to advocate its passage. You're joined by hundreds of people throughout California here to win the AB 889 Domestic Worker Bill of Rights. The California bill is inspired by a similar law that passed in New York. Workers in other states, including Illinois and Maryland, are considering pushing for their own Bill of Rights laws. This momentum for workers' rights comes as the issue of home care is growing. As the baby boomer generation retires, 10,000 people turn 65 every day, and more women in the workforce are relying on nannies to care for their children. Workers want to ensure that this growing industry provides quality jobs, but some say these changes will make home care unaffordable. Sandy Levine owns a branch of Senior Helpers, an agency that provides in-home care in Alameda County, California. She argues that legally requiring things like overtime pay and rest breaks don't make sense for this industry. Domestic workers get rest as their clients get rest, and many of them, they're going to rest in the afternoon or have a break then. Nobody's going to come in and be able to relieve them and give them an actual break. That's not the situation. She points out that most people pay for care out of pocket, and she worries that the bill would make already expensive care unaffordable. She says her business already operates on a very tight profit margin. This is going to be a very difficult situation or almost impossible for seniors to be able to pick up the slack and the cost of what would happen in this industry if this passes. I really don't believe it's going to be expensive for folks. Jessica Lehman is a disability rights advocate and employs attendants in her home. She says that the bill shouldn't make care unaffordable. If somebody is used to having a 12-hour or 24-hour shift, they will need to split that shift up into less than eight-hour shifts. And I know firsthand that hiring new attendants and training new attendants can be difficult, but I also know firsthand that it's possible, and we all know it's possible. Jessica organizes with Hand in Hand, the Domestic Employers Association. Employer support played a key role in passing the New York Bill of Rights. So after that success, employers began to organize nationally with the belief that rights for workers are mutually beneficial for employers. It's important for, for all of us in the disability community to recognize that this is a long-term issue, that if we don't fight for good wages and good working conditions, we're keeping this job from being seen by society as a, as a profession. Workers and employers are advocating for workers' rights. They are also fighting to keep benefits like Medicare and Medicaid. Together, they hope to create a system that is more supportive of those who need care. Danielle Ferris is the director of Hand in Hand. People with disabilities, seniors, workers, immigrants, all need to be at one table, recognizing that we have overlap in our communities and that our lives are, are intertwined. With the success in New York, organizers are beginning to look beyond basic protections and state legislation to figure out how to re-envision a fair system on a national scale. How do you regulate work that happens in people's private homes? We really talk about the right to organize. And of course, what that means in this country is collective bargaining and the right to form a union and have a contract. The best defense for working people from unscrupulous employers, corporate greed, is really unions. Ai-jen Poo is the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, a coalition of domestic worker organizations around the country. 
But the truth is, is that the framework for collective bargaining was rooted in a very different time in this country. So the National Labor Relations Act, which gives workers the right to collectively bargain and form a union in this country, came into being in the 1930s when the economy looked very different, the workforce looked very different, and the relationship between workers and employers was very different. One difference is that the laws were written for workers in a manufacturing economy, where employees bargained with a single employer. So, if domestic workers could collectively bargain, who would they bargain with? The people who employ domestic workers are also scattered and isolated. They may not even think of themselves as employers. In New York, workers have invited employers to help them figure that out. Thank you for coming. I, we have a, a bevy of information for you tonight. We are going to it's a Monday evening, and about a dozen young parents crowd into a room in Brooklyn. They're here for an info session on how to hire a nanny, organized by Park Slope Parents, a neighborhood parenting group. There's more on the agenda than how to find the right fit and how much to pay. Topics also include work agreements, severance packages, and whether to provide health insurance. Rachel McCullough works with Jews for Racial and Economic Justice, or JFREJ, one of the groups presenting at the meeting. JFREJ organizes domestic employers in solidarity with the worker movement. As Rachel explains to the crowd, they see the Bill of Rights as just the beginning. So we wanted to talk to you guys about some organizing that we're doing these days around health care. So we were part of the campaign for the Domestic Workers Bill of Rights, as Allison mentioned with Domestic Workers United. These days, we're looking at what it could mean to raise standards even higher, again, in a way that benefited workers and employers alike. So Park Slope parents and other local groups offer one potential model for organizing employers, which is a key puzzle piece in figuring out how collective bargaining might work. Sarah Sternod also works with Jews for Racial and Economic Justice. She brings up the issue of providing health insurance for employees. We recognize that not everyone in this room might even have their own health insurance. So what we're putting out there is a really big leap forward. But there are a couple of models out there that look like they might be feasible. And we want to start exploring how bits and pieces of those different models might be applicable to the Park Slope neighborhood and for people who want to try to be creative about being able to provide that really important benefit for their nanny or house cleaner. Organizers say they are at the early stages of experimentation, and they're trying to bring all of the stakeholders on board from the beginning. Priscilla Gonzalez is the director for Domestic Workers United, an organization that led the effort to pass the New York Bill of Rights. Now, they are working towards collective bargaining. So for example, working with synagogues and other congregations, working with parent groups to develop a shared understanding of what the employment relationship should look like so that when we go back to Albany, we can have some concrete recommendations for how collective bargaining will take place in this industry. Organizers see collective bargaining as an important step in creating a fair system for workers. Igen Poo says we should have better supports for child care and elder care through measures like tax credits. She points to countries like France and Denmark that provide free child care for working families. She acknowledges, though, that some of the changes domestic workers are proposing might seem unimaginable. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't pay people and we shouldn't offer them benefits. What that means is that there's something off balance in the system. We have to figure out how to fix it. For Making Contact, I'm Megan LaSala.